This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by the Soda Pod, home of MNCAA college hockey news and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 171 here in the den in the middle to later portions of July here coming out uh, the week of July 24th here in the den. Nick Max and Noah Grant here to bring you this week's show, Nick. And it, uh, it's been a weird summer, I, I think, weather-wise. I don't know how it's been in Minnesota, but I feel like June was almost warmer than July was for the most part in terms of like the expected temperatures uh at least here in north dakota as we know the minnesota state fair is going to be hot in august regardless right there's no i don't (laughs) want to hear it right now not not because of the weather but more because as as minnesota residents would attest that is sort of the end of summer celebration and that just means uh crap uh now it's time to look ahead for not fun other changes in the weather so well, a fun change that quiet is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> well, fun things that we do look forward to, though, of course, WCHA and NCHC hockey right around the corner. We're continuing our WCHA preview at number six this week. And uh, we just have a couple of other things to wrap up related to Huskies hockey. And in, in fact, our WCHA recap and preview itself uh, has a lot of St. Cloud ties to it as well. So I think if you're a Huskies fan, you'll definitely enjoy listening to this episode. Without further ado, we start Center Ice View News and Notes presented by the HuskiesIllustrated.com website and the Soda Pod. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to CenterIceView.com. into the main portion of the show nick max and noah grant here in the den for episode 171 the huskies warming house podcast brought to you of course by centerized view huskiesillustrated.com and the soda pod excited to have all our listeners and viewers here nick a couple of basically quick hits that we have to get to before we roll into our wcha preview here nick a story that we've been kind of following uh, you know, for the past couple of weeks, actually started by centericeview.com. Uh, Garrett Rowe, the 35-year-old veteran, officially coming back to the States to join the Hershey Bears. Of course, uh, some uh, unfortunate family news that accompanies that transition, but nonetheless, a great hockey player, former Team USA Olympian, Nick. Uh, it, it's, you know, regardless of all the personal side of things, it's a, it's an interesting hockey move, something we don't get to see a whole lot where guys come back into the AHL at that age. Uh, what do you think makes Garrett Rowe so successful, and uh, how do you think he's going to do uh, jumping back to Hershey in the AHL? Well, I think when you have a, a long career, right, you know, regardless of where you play hockey, it, it's the details, right? It, it's the commitment to being the pro athlete both on and off the ice. That's really what it comes down to is those small details. And a big reason why he was successful at St. Cloud and a big reason why his pro career has taken to the age of 35. And, you know, it, it's sometimes opportunities just they come when you least expect it. And I'm not sure, you know, it's, in other words, what I'm trying to say is there's not always a direct or a linear answer to, 
you know, why a certain opportunity opens or maybe even so a, a certain opportunity closes, right? Sometimes things just happen. I'm not sure if this exactly was that case, but as you mentioned, uh, some some sad news coming for Garrett Rowe, again, the, the loss of his mother, um, which uh, came back to the United States to search that. I don't know if, you know, especially for Hershey, were they looking for a veteran depth? Were they looking for a leadership role? You know, you just don't know all those answers. And, you know, we may get some clarification later on, but he signs July 19th, um, just a couple of days before our recording here, the 21st. And uh, at the end of it, when you're an athlete at 35 and uh, she always say the sunsets on the horizon, uh, a great opportunity to come back to the U.S. 10 years overseas in Europe. And uh, what a way to potentially uh, finish out our pro career, at least try to you know get a few more back closer to home and uh, just happy for him and for the opportunity there with the, the reigning Calder Cup champion Hershey Bears. Yeah, boy, what a season, obviously, they had and what a great organization to jump into. It's uh, obviously exciting to, uh, you know, see what kind of success he might have at that level certainly a chance potentially for a repeat at that level if not anything uh more you never really know obviously like we said former team usa olympian uh very exciting uh moving over to the women's side here for st cloud uh, a couple of topics here first laura zimmerman um kind of a cool little press release the wcha has been kind of keeping tabs on our huskies in the recent week so to speak um essentially so she joined the swiss army for athletes for 18 weeks um in the summer uh, promoted from recruit to soldier um representing her home country and also taking some time off to enjoy the mountains and and do a lot of other things back home now nick i, I was trying to figure out um what the swiss army for athletes really is um and I Googled it. And the first thing I got was, can you bring a Swiss army knife on a plane? And I just kind of backed out of that entire. Uh, yeah. I think we know the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Soiree. But uh, Laura Zimmerman, uh, no stranger to being a Swiss army knife of sorts, uh, a great 200 foot player uh, on the international stage. Uh, that's gotta be fun. I, I mean, not the, the, the soldier part I am imagining, but I mean, getting to hang out, I mean, you know, the mountains uh, over there in Switzerland have to be, absolutely stunning so it, well you I mean, mean the alps yeah I yeah mean, not that it's not world you know recognized or anything like <laughs> that but i think you know and i'm gonna guess what the swiss army for athletes might be because i believe in most uh european countries you know most of their um, citizens have at least some requirement for um, army participation mm -hmm. um, by a certain age i would imagine this is more to try to pin it or sort of condense that time into a essentially a bigger chunk uh so that way they can continue to uh participate in their um athletic endeavors would be my guess yeah i'm probably totally wrong on that but that's just a surface guess that uh, they, that used to be right of course we talked about with russia isn't it where if you have like like you've been playing in the khl you essentially accrue like service time or you did before all the yeah, chaos yeah yeah that and obviously that they're a little bit different, but essentially that counted as <laughs> a essentially service because they, they view hockey uh, there as a service to the country, right? So it was kind of same, similar yeah. thing. It, it certainly doesn't, you know, I think from our standpoint, it doesn't really equate, but to them it does, so. Yeah, certainly would agree. Uh, other side of women's hockey here, um, a player that, Nick, you and I were kind of talking pre-show, oddly enough, when I talk about, uh, you know, those of us uh, that are uh, not in the state of hockey and those of us that of course are, are near to Canada or in America's wasteland, as Nick would say, um, I actually get asked about this player quite a bit. Taylor Lynn, um, of course, spending uh, the past couple of weeks, uh, weeks ago, I should say with brother Kalen, who was the 46th overall pick of the national predators just signed a three-year deal. Of course, brother Cole is uh, playing with Seattle, formerly a Vancouver draft pick at 33 overall. So I don't know if there's bragging rights there as far as the selection number, both, uh, um, you know, second rounder, so to speak. But uh, yeah, kind of cool to be able to tag along and, you know, uh, seem like a lot of uh, good family trips there. But, you know, when we talk about Taylor Lind, who again, like I said, I, I get asked about her quite often uh, of all the players. I don't know if it's because of the NHL connection, but obviously a great player in her own right for St. Cloud in the women's program here, Nick, uh, expecting big things from her, you know, as she moves forward in her hockey career. I think that's safe to say. We remember her as, you know, that freshman who 
you know, was taking a little bit of time to acclimate, had all the tools in the toolkit, just had to kind of put the puzzle pieces together and uh, certainly has turned into a really great hockey player for the Huskies. I mean, and, and really, you know, to, to quickly just finish off that point, a, a player that's gotten high praise from new head coach Brian Idolsky. In fact, I believe he went directly to say something like he, she is the model of hockey player we want to recruit uh, for St. Cloud. She just has that kind of acumen, the skill and the work ethic, right? I think you put all that together and she's that model they want to uh, to build around. So, I mean, uh, obviously it, it runs in the family, as you can see. Uh, so that's exciting times for uh, the two brothers there for Taylor. And I'll uh, be curious to see how Taylor uh, is uh, going to be ready for this upcoming fall and their year under Idolski, which hopefully the ladder keeps climbing for the Huskies. Yeah, hopefully they do, of course, trying to challenge the number six preview in our WCHA women's coverage here. Before we get to that, though, on the men's side, we did have uh, um, everything college hockey did have a poll this past week. And boy, this one was, uh, according to some Husky fans anyway, um, you know, bygones are not bygones, so to speak. AIC, oh. St. Cloud State, uh, the comparison there, St. Cloud uh Nick, at least like you said to me pre-show, at least they won something here. They did win this poll. Against the IC, yeah. Yeah, uh, 57 to 43% across 1,044 votes. Um, AIC apparently is set to get new jerseys, although I don't know if that involves still floating a puck off the glass back to center ice repeatedly and winning hockey games by a low margin. But a lot um, of the pucks weren't off the glass. That's the point. I think it was just straight, <laughs> like from goal lines, just straight to the center ice dot. It was yeah, barely off the glass. That I, I think, and again, we could go on and, you know, break down that game, you know, for let's, we got time, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to push an hour today. Um, and that's just on that topic, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always cool to see new jerseys, especially at the college hockey level. You don't really see that happen quite often or I, early. I love their logo, by the way. I mean, say what you want about, you know, the St. Cloud connection. Of course, we both voted for St. Cloud. How could we not? But AIC's logo, I think is, I would, and we talked about this in one of the shows way back. It's one of the best logos in college hockey. I mean, it's creative. It's unique. Um, you know, it's a lot of fun. Also has a former Minot Minotaro and Hunter Longy headed there. How could you not enjoy AIC hockey if you're a Huskies fan, right? I mean, uh, there's many <laughs> reasons, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, for a stacked St. Cloud squad, number one overall. Yeah, about that. We'll uh, no, no. I mean, Canisius had us excited for like half a hockey game, you know, 40 minutes. I mean, we'll give up. Yeah, yeah, 40 minutes. And then and, and it didn't happen. So. Yeah. <laughs> and then that, and then that thing, you know, it. I will say this, though, had Canisius won that hockey game against the Gophers and then matched up against St. Cloud, um, that's just, you're just inviting more chaos there. I'm just going to put that You out. really are. You, you really are. Like... You, would you imagine Canisius, uh, <laughs> right? Because sometimes you, you have to sort of play with house money in yeah. your head, right? And you know that's the most dangerous team to face in the playoffs is a team that probably thinks or knows or it's like we shouldn't be here, but here we are. So, hell, let's have fun with it. Loose team like that usually the most dangerous. So uh, that would have, oh, geez, could you imagine that adding to the um, the repertoire of misery for St. Cloud State fans? If that would have happened, oh, goodness, like, we wouldn't have heard the end of it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the Gophers fans would be right there with us. And I don't know, that that's a weird bond that I don't think anyone wants to share, right? That's, like, that's not a beer you want to share over <laughs> at the local bar. No, that's 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 not a happy place. <laughs> yeah, that's not a happy place. Uh, hey, Ben Paddle Brewing Co., Beaver Island Brewing, they, would, they might enjoy it a little bit, though. Uh, they would. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to head on over to uh, an, another partner, by the way, the Soda Pod Mankato Brewing. Around their neck of the woods, the WCHA Women's Preview coming in at number six, the Mankato Mavericks neck end. Uh, um, yeah, the WCHA falling essentially in line with where they were last season. Minnesota State Mankato finishing with 30 points on the season. They were uh, a good 16 points clear of seventh place St. Thomas, but only six shy of our St. Cloud State Huskies in fifth place nick and um this is a team that plays at the mayo clinic event center seats 5100 for hockey nick um and it is decidedly and no doubt about it very purple in that yeah. arena um nick you've gotten to experience hockey games there obviously women's hockey actually draws a pretty decent crowd as well too uh good ice sheet there uh what yeah. do, what do you like about mankato's program overall before we dive in uh they're you know a storied program that has really kind of you know stood the test of time uh in minnesota hockey wcha and chc of course uh playing the NCHC teams on the men's side as well too it's kind of fun because you have a division two school 
essentially by proxy of similar to St. Cloud. And then you have the division one programs of both men's and women's hockey that sort of, I don't want to say carry the mail, but they're sort of, you know, the icon of, of the university. They're kind of like that town ball team that just, you know, every it's, it's the, it's the calling card of the community. Right. And it is one thing that Mankato has done well um, as a university and then as an athletics program is they really have, outreached and connected with that surrounding community around Mankato and have really made it, you know, just a, a family fun entertainment venue. Um, the uh, pregame festivities in and around uh, the arena, which is kind of a closed off spot, uh, you know, is, is a nice gathering spot. There's a lot of great restaurants and pubs that are pretty close to the arena. So it really becomes a destination thing. Um, you know, partly that's for Dinky Town, right? Even for the University yeah. of Minnesota. Yes, I'm bringing up the Gophers right now, and I'm giving them credit. I don't care. So, uh, but you you got spots you can go and you know enjoy the game, or go and have a pregame uh, snack and, and and beverage of your choice, and then go to the game. It's it's just a good experience overall, right? Um, that's kind of what it reminds me of, you know. And and yeah. if you don't connect uh, to the people that are in your city limits. You're, you're never going to be successful regardless. And they've done a really good job of that. Obviously uh, the people behind the bench, the players on the ice and the, certainly the athletics department largely responsible for that, but have really captivated that city. And a big reason why they've been successful over the past uh, number of years. Yeah, certainly no stranger to that success in the CCHA on the men's side. There's no doubt about that. On the women's side, though, I, this kind of speaks to the strength of the WCHA Women's Conference and, you know, the, yep. the difficulty to try to cr- climb that mountain here. 15-20-1 overall this season, Nick. 9-18-1 in, in conference play. Now, obviously, you do the math. That's well under 500 in conference play, but nine wins is nothing to scoff at. I mean, it's it's not a bad season overall. Uh, it still has them sitting sixth in the conference, Nick. I Was this a team that, you know, when you got a chance to see them and, of course, uh, very close proximity to St. Cloud as far as that drive is concerned, was this a team that when you looked at them, you kind of felt like they were missing some pieces or was it just kind of a casualty of the WCHA where all these teams in the middle of the pack just like to essentially beat up on each other? You win some here, you lose some here, and a lot of tightly contested hockey games. I think it's a mixture of the two, right? Because you are, it's, let's be honest, the WCHA is top heavy, right? You've got your big guns of Minnesota, Ohio State. Um, Now you can kind of throw Duluth in there too, right? And then Wisconsin, right? With Duluth kind of had a coming out party the last couple of years and uh, what makes it difficult, right, is not only is it, you know, your your daily and, you know, your I shouldn't say your daily, but your weekend bouts on the ice pits, your recruiting battles and everything else, right? Uh, people want to and that better athletes, they want to go to those programs that on paper have got the pedigree, they've got the playoff experience. And so it makes it tough, right? And that's, you know, why when we talk about these teams in the WCHA in the bottom, it's hard to really shall we say fault them per se, because again, it's just, it's a, it's a tough task, right. To try to climb out of the proverbial, shall we say bottom four, right. Because really it's, it's a really top four versus bottom four. Um, but Minnesota state, um, they've got speed. They do have skill um, defensively, very, very sound, right. As a team on the right. penalty kill, just a shade under 88%. So they've got some things working for them, but here's the thing. Um, it was sort of what we call the timeliness of some of the things that happened yes. to them, right? Um, with that speed, you know, sometimes it's, you know, what's it's called the blind hockey player syndrome where you get the puck, you're, you're running fast and sometimes either you're either too far ahead of something or too far behind. It's, it's the hockey IQ because that there's ebbs and flows, right? And you just got the feeling that in certain situational areas of the game that's where things got a little mucky and that really is the difference between shall we say teams like minnesota state st thomas bemidji that we've talked about before and right, as well as today versus some of these top end squads is how you take advantage of certain situations and thinking the game one or two steps ahead yeah. that's what i gather from mankato was it's not necessarily the skill set but sometimes the situational awareness the hockey iq is what lacks and unfortunately sometimes that lacking um doesn't always make the score sheet, but it ends. It means bigger results, uh, not usually in your favor on the ice. Yeah, well, you kind of talk about uh, a lot of players say, especially for you know when we referred to Taylor Lynch, you know, in her freshman season versus now. For a lot of young players, especially, the game kind of speeds up on you a little bit, and yep. being able to let the game come to you and be able to kind of process that extra step, start to anticipate and realize that 
you know, you don't need to fly into the zone alone, like you mentioned, and kind of beat your teammates there. You're waiting for that second flow, but you also want to play with some urgency, some pace. You want a nice mix, a nice balance uh, as you enter the zone. I mean, this is a team that was only outscored by 14 on the season. Heavily, yeah. heavily outshot, though, Nick, yep. one in six in one goal game. So you talk about a team that uh, is kind of feeling the pressure when they get into those tight contests, 13 and seven when scoring first, when their opponent was on the board first, Nick, and they were playing catch up only two wins, 13 losses to their credit. Any other statistical detail really stand out for you, Nick, because they were all right at home. They were all right on the road. Their pairwise percentage point was uh, a shade under 46%, uh, percent, so to speak here, Nick, they just, I, uh, I don't want to say they didn't control a hockey game, but like you said, it felt like when they got further and further into those moments, their ability to close was a little bit lacking at times. Yeah. And, and, you know, let's look at it from a, a like a multifaceted look, right? Uh, because we're super analytics here on the hockey's Huskies <laughs> podcast, uh, two and a half goals a game, 2.9 goals against, right? So you think about it, I'm like, well, that's not much of a spread, yeah. right? How about this power play? 19.2%, right? Uh, so, not bad, but also, you know, you think situational back what we said again, um, you know, shots per game, uh, 26, they're getting up 33. So when you put a couple of these things together, Noel, what you end up getting is going back to those one goal games, those tie hockey games, right? Was that scream to me five on five, right? Yeah. It's the five on five pressure. It's can you, shall we say, make those subtle yet smart decisions such as you had a long shift uh, instead of maybe, dumping and getting a full line change. Maybe you carry the puck and you, maybe you do a blue line turnover. Now the puck's coming back at you and you, you're caught on the ice, right? Um, maybe at certain times in the hockey game, uh, you're getting pinned in your own zone. And instead of maybe taking an icing, and I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do, but sometimes yeah. just relieving pressure and getting that 10 to 15 second break, uh, maybe you allow your coach to call a timeout, right? It's things like that, that can, shall we say swing between a win and a loss, right? So it's those small little things when you add them up, kind of explain some of the things that happened in Minnesota State. Um, here's the good news is, is those are addressable. You know, it's not like you, you yeah. can, uh, you need to bring in a whole new roster, but that's just sometimes game strategy, hockey IQ. Again, we use that phrase kind of freewheeling, but it kind of comes down to that race is being aware of where you're at, you know, what's happening on the ice, you know, what are your strengths, you know, what's happening to you? Are you being bogged down in some way and being able to adjust and make the right decision on the fly? Uh, so, that's how I see it. Is there anything else to pop out to you? Well, you talked about what is it an indicator of? It's an indicator of a team that, like you said, isn't necessarily in control of the pace of play, right? You talked yeah. about that situational awareness, power play. You know, you have to give yourself a chance to get a power play opportunity. You have to give yourself a good penalty kill to get yourself back to five on five. It didn't feel like in the latter stages of hockey games that, you know, they were able to control down the stretch. It just felt like, oh, they're hanging in the hockey game, but they're not driving possession. They're not the aggressor. They're not on the attack. And I think, like you said, those are addressable where, you know, uh, part of it is, and we talked about this with Brett Larson on the St. Cloud men's side. Sometimes you just, or again, even Scott Salen in Duluth, sometimes you just have to be there. Sometimes you just have yep. to experience that, those ebbs and flows. That's where you really lean on your veteran experience too, where you've been in those situations. You've been in those 4-4 hockey games against Minnesota with three minutes left to play. You've maybe eked out a win against Wisconsin. You've kind of felt what it feels like to be on the other side of that success to find things that work. And then you start to repeat that success. Then you start to kind of buy into that system. And then on top of that, you know, you mentioned like sometimes it's just poise, right? Especially yeah. in hockey games at five on five, you know, maybe you're out shooting your opponent and maybe you're just, you're, you can't buy a bounce, right? You can't, you can't get a, a puck past the opposing goaltender. So then instinctually, like an, as an athlete, especially for younger players, right? You start to get out of the system. You start to try to put the team on your back kind of thing. Right. And instead of maybe trying to, uh, you know, work with what you have and what you're being given, you maybe try to start to force plays. Now you're turning over pucks. Now you're caught in your own zone. And then what ends up uh, a tie hockey game just moments ago, now you're down three to two or a one goal, whatever you want to be, because you try to take uh, maybe, I don't want to say a risk, but you know, you try to go a little bit outside the lines per se to try to make something happen. And that's where that poison that veteran presence really comes into play no it is when the frustration starts to mount and you, know, you feel like you, you should be getting uh rewarded for some of the hard work and you're not and that's where 
uh, some of those, shall we say, the, the teams like Minnesota State, that's, that's when they break, right? You're bending a bit, but when you break, is not necessarily a bounce going against you, but you almost shoot yourself in the foot, right? And I think yeah. that's what's been indicative of Minnesota State over the past couple of years, especially on the women's side. Would agree. Uh, and you talk about those one-goal contests. Actually, pretty good, formidable efforts against most of the conference in the bottom five, so to speak. Um, but one-goal games, like you mentioned, starting the season on a six-game losing streak, Nick. But besides uh, the weekend in in the third weekend of the season where they were outscored 20-4 to by the Gophers, including an 11 to nothing loss on that Friday night, a painful one, obviously. How about this, though? They start with Ohio State. They lose 2-1 to and 4-5 to against a very good Buckeye squad. Then a 2-1 to OT loss and two nothing loss against Duluth so I mean they were in these hockey games they string a pair of wins against St. Thomas together a split against Bemidji State before a four game uh, is technically five game win streak against Sacred Heart and St. Thomas uh, the Gophers kind of had the run in the middle against Mankato Wisconsin did as well before they strung together six wins in a row Long Island Lindenwood and then a sweep uh, seven to two over the weekend uh, against St. Cloud uh, in the middle of January so we talked about the Huskies kind of struggling a little bit at that time on the women's side. Wisconsin and Ohio State, not much of a contest there. But then they lose a one-goal overtime finish, 4-3 against Duluth, and tie 0-0 for a shootout loss technically against the Bulldogs. So again, they rebound well. They sweep Bemidji State the following weekend, but then St. Cloud comes in and kind of cleans up shop, and Wisconsin was too much to handle in the WCHA quarterfinals next. So, I mean, this is a team that, you know, you talked about St. Thomas, you talked about Bemidji State. Uh, you know, Duluth is starting to move in that upper echelon on the other side. St. Cloud and Mankato are extremely comparable right now. They're kind yes. of in their own little island where they're not quite there yet, but they're not exactly struggling like they we, like we've seen them in years past here. They're they're in hockey games. They're giving themselves a chance. They, there's not exactly a lack of offense, a lack of production, so to speak. It's just not quite there where all the, you know, the cogs of the machine fit together. Anything notable about the schedule that you wanted to pull out of it? Not necessarily because, you know, but you know, I think what you can say is just based on last season is you can't start 0-6 either, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can't win, you know, a season of the first six weeks, but you can certainly, I think this is a Brett Larson quote, is you can certainly lose a season yeah. in the first few weeks, right? And it's not that... There's so many games left to play because I think, you know, the argument we hear is, well, Nick, it's only six games in the season. But as an athlete, right, it starts to weigh on you. And, and again, because college hockey seasons, they're not long. You know, they're what, 32 or 34 games, what, five months and change, maybe. Yeah, yeah. it's you get two games a weekend, uh, especially that, on the women's side. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it goes quick. Uh, I'm just trying to get the math exactly. So 15, 21, so that's 36. So 36 games yeah. uh, in a season. That goes quick. And so each game is important, right? It's not like you're playing uh, on the, you know, above the Canadian border where you're playing an NHL you know, style 82 game season or 70, right. whatever you want to call it, where maybe a stretch like that isn't going to kill you. Uh, but just for morale and for confidence, right? When you start the season 0 and 6, and despite being in some of those hockey games, it, it does kind of creep into your head, right? Just ask a Twins uh, designated hitter how he's doing with <laughs> confidence going home 25. For those who don't follow the Twins, it's Byron Buxton. Oh, my gosh. So, um, so yeah, can't Iron do that. Ironically, again. 25, by the way. But uh, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, can't do that again. You know, even if you come out of that three and three, right, it looks and it feels better, right? Because especially, you, you know, you yeah. want to get your foot running. A big reason why in the men's side, I know we keep referring back to Brett Larson, but the formula like, seems to work is yeah. you, know, you, you kind of want to have those tough opponents because, you know, when you face the best, you there's a, diff there's a different switch in your head, right? You just you prepare a little bit more, the body, the mind, you know, the the ebbs and flows of the game, and it just it gets you into battle mode. And I think really for Minnesota State, if they can even do three and three or whatever the case may be in the schedule to start off. Hats off, and you just never know what can happen. Again, you got to play a sixty-minute hockey game, no matter what happens. Uh, but certainly, as you go through the first few, if you're uh, at least even yeah. par, uh, definitely the outlook's much brighter. 
And it might be a time to capitalize on a team like your Ohio State, who's going to happen to have a really good season, but just steal one early because they're still in the, you know, the forming stages of trying to find their identity as well, too. Sometimes early season can be a time where you maybe have a bit of an upset by the end of the year as far as the standings are concerned. And you take one that maybe you probably shouldn't have had against, you know, one of the top two teams in the conference, for example. So uh, very interested to see how this carries over into the upcoming season, of course, led by the coaching staff, the trio here, John Harris. Harrington, the head coach in his eighth season, uh, Jeff Gason in his sixth season, and Sherry Dickerman in her, I believe it's 15th season. It's been since 2009, so it's been uh, a while, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Eighth season, of course, for John Harrington, like we mentioned. Coming into last year, he was 57, 153, and 24, uh, exactly 298 and 298 overall in his coaching tenure. He's now dipped below 500 overall in his coaching tenure. Uh, soiree so to speak uh, highly successful of course at St. John's as well multiple conference titles five NCAA tourney appearances in the early 2000s that will of course be a great reference to those who are looking off of the main sheet at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center uh, former St. Cloud State Husky assistant coach and Denver assistant as well he was with St. Cloud from 1990 to 1993 actually right before essentially the Matt Cullen uh, era so to speak uh, Duluth Bulldog of course as a former player and everyone knows a 1980 Olympic gold medalist on that team. Son Chris was a captain for the Gophers from 2002 to 2006, Nick. Um, Obviously, a lot of ties there um, for him on the St. Cloud side. Uh, Jeff Geeson as well, six-year for him, eight eight seasons as head coach of St. Cloud. On the women's side, of course, really good years in there, 18, 15, and four in 2007. Worked with Harrington, of course, at St. John's prior during that early 2000s stint and a very good USA Hockey development teacher, Nick. Uh, Starting with those two, a lot of St. Cloud connections uh, and St. John's connections there. Uh, uh, John Harrington has always been spoken of very highly from all the circles that we, of course, uh, run into, especially on the WCHA side. Nick, what do both of these guys bring to the table in head coach and associate coach that make them so successful? Well, we talked about how hockey sometimes is a game of decisions, right? And, you know, they're the epitome of hockey IQ, right? They know what it takes to win. They know, you know, how you can limit your mistakes and to read the right play. Uh, so at the end of it, <laughs> did, you, did you just say epitome? I did. Uh, can we go with epitome? Sure. <laughs> anyway, continue. Anyway, Um yeah, they're, they're the mountain peak of. They're uh, the thing. They're the thing of uh, <laughs> of uh, of really just being able to 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 teach what it takes to win at the end of the day. Because we can talk skills, right? We can talk about skating. We can talk about sticking. We can talk about shooting percentage all we want. All that's meaningless unless you know what's in front of you on the ice and how you can create offense, how you can shut down the opposing rush, all that good jazz. And again. They have been there as players. They've been there as coaches, so they know how to pass that information down. And really, is it? And I think really, Noah, when you're when you're in Minnesota State, and let's let's have a fair conversation, right? They're not the upper echelon of the WCHA, so really, it comes down to situational awareness. It really comes down to uh, executing a game plan to yeah. be able to have the best chance to win. Uh, those guys have done it, right? Both as players and coaches. So. Um, the, again, the record, I know maybe doesn't jump off the page, especially for Harrington. Uh, but trust me, again, we talked about the DB, the WCHA and the challenges it presents, especially to a team like Minnesota state. And honestly, to St. Cloud too, if you want to throw them in the same conversation, because they are comparable, uh, but that's what they bring. They bring, um, gold, uh, gold medal winning, uh, you know, yeah. pedigree and, uh, other skill sets that, uh, a lot of young players can learn from not only for their collegiate career, but also, hopefully in the pros as well. Absolutely would agree. Sherry Dickerman, of course, the assistant coach, like I mentioned, since 2009, uh, very good goaltender. Some would say, you know, the epitome of goaltenders, uh, all American netminder for the Mavs as a player finalist uh, for like Patty Kazmaier Memorial award back in 2004. Um, I've been told that's very good. Uh, <laughs> she and a uh, former uh, netminder, Ali Altman, by the way, a gold medalist, uh, the 2023 worlds as well for them behind the bench. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think when you have an assistant coach that not only doubles as a goaltending coach, so to speak, um, what a great addition to the previous two guys that we mentioned and their pedigree, of course, former Huskies uh, as a result. Yeah, and, and just to go the definite epitome is a good thing, 
<laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, no, it, it is a good thing. It's a, yeah, it, it it's is a, a good thing. thing that is a perfect example of a particular quality of type. So shove it. Okay. Yeah, no, exactly. Like the Huskies Homering House podcast, the epitome of, you know, well, it depends on who you ask, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure not many are asking that question, but what they do want to know, of course, is what is this roster going to look like next year for Mankato? Because uh, as we've seen a lot of turnover in the WCHA here, um, transfers that are leaving uh, starting a uh, junior goaltender, Emerald Kelly, who did not play last season has not been claimed. So she might be back. I'm not really sure. Uh, senior net minor have Kelly. to reinstate, right? Right. So, yeah. She would have to sign an, another NLI if I recall. If yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a process that they have to go through to, to be re reinstated. As you mentioned, Uh senior net minder, Cala Frank, we mentioned this, uh, um, headed to St. Thomas. We talked about her last week, the former team USA UA team player defenseman, Anna Wilgren, a senior three games played, had a goal uh, in those three games headed to Wisconsin. Actually. So I, I was curious about this one. I didn't know if there was, um, like an injury piece to this or an academic piece to this, but I mean, you don't, I mean, you don't just play three games and then head to Wisconsin. I mean, there's something there where, you know, you kind of go back to that. And then the big one, senior forward, Kelsey King, who has been a force to be reckoned with for Mankato in many years past 34 contests for her had 19 points, including 14 goals across that time headed to Ohio state to make that Buckeyes team very scary. Um, yeah. To say that. And then I didn't I didn't list this, but actually eight seniors that are either on their way out or staying. I, I haven't really been able to find a ton of information here. So, um, yeah, I mean, their roster still could have a lot of fluctuation here, Nick. Uh, but as far as players that are leaving, really the big punch on the forward end, Kelsey King. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, is there anything that you kind of pull from these transfers that you, you know, feel like Mankato obviously is going to miss that? Or do you kind of feel like maybe they got away with not losing a ton besides someone with some really great scoring punch in Kelsey King? I mean, I, obviously Kelsey King hurts the most. Uh, some of these players, of course, you know, uh, when you're a goaltender, right? You carry three. If you don't have much playing time, you want to go find a place that you do earn some playing time, right? Um, same thing with Cal, uh, Cal Frank. Um, and then obviously the senior defenseman, uh, Will Grimm, uh, you, you, you do kind of wonder, but at the end of it, you know, the, the, the thing that I think we often forget, you know, was that, you know, the, the player and the team trajectory is often a conflict, Right. Whereas, you know, the team wants to, you know, build and, you know, they have a certain puzzle they want to create. It's not always the same that the player has in their minds. So, um, but on paper, they didn't really lose a lot. Now, losing Kelsey Kane is big. Let's, let's yeah. not forget. She definitely was a driver, a lot of uh, their scoring chances, certainly a lot of their goals, 14 on the year. If I, if I remember the stats correctly, yeah, 19 points overall. So it's not a ton, but at the same time, we talked about the struggles of Minnesota State scoring too right so uh at the end of it that could be uh shall i say a more impactful loss with one body just because of shall we say the the surrounding cast members uh that uh shall we say maybe haven't been the you know shall we say produced at the same level uh so we'll see but overall in terms of bodies being super impactful not a ton that they're losing yeah, Anna Wilgren, a 1999, by the way, which apparently that's old now, which uh, is a terrifying phrase to say the least. You I cannot say that <laughs> in front of me. No. Wow. I mean, it's the epitome of age. Uh, what I can tell you... <laughs> what I can tell you, though, uh, two netminders, Lauren Barbaro and Alexa Berg. Um, Alexa Berg, technically a graduate player, though, so I don't even know if she'll be back. But part of me is thinking I would think she's coming back unless Emerald Kelly is coming back because netmining-wise, those are the only two that would be listed as Califrank, of course, is on her way out. So, um, and Elmer, Emerald Kelly is in limbo, uh, so to speak here, Nick. Uh, but as far as players that... Uh, We do know that are entering uh, three transfers coming into the fold and then five freshmen that we can see three forwards, two defensemen and a goaltender on the freshman side. So I guess you you are adding a net minder there, um, which might Mm -hmm. signal some things here. Nick, what do you know about the transfers that are coming in? Uh, so you got Claire Vekic coming in from Bemidji, and uh, this is huge because Claire Vekic was uh, from a very offensively starved Bemidji squad. Uh, she was one of their catalysts in offense. So you talk about replacing someone like uh, a Kelsey King. Vekic is one of those uh, uh, types of players that can do that. She's got great speed, great skill, good release, too. We saw her uh, again when I called uh, the Hockey Day Minnesota game up in St. Cloud, and she was definitely a noticeable uh, player on the ice for the Beavers in that game. Uh, also coming over uh, from Franklin Pierce, is it Suzette Fauché? 
Yeah, I think so. Yep. Uh, as a goal center, as you mentioned, so uh, again, trying to round out the uh, goaltending trio there. Uh, only weird. played in five games. Yeah, weird numbers, exactly. They, numbers that don't generally go together in this capacity unless you're getting a little bit shelled, I think, right? Like uh, More like a lot shelled, right? Uh, yeah. You don't have a 927 save percentage and a 357 goals against average. Those numbers normally don't go in the same uh, yeah. stat line. We'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, but what it could mean is, you know, uh, obviously being outshot to hell and back, but, yeah. uh, you know, still kept the damage relatively okay, you know, in those five starts. And I think probably part of the the skewing of that, Noah, goes to the probably just the, the minimal games played. Probably right. just have those numbers skewed. But here's the big one. How about someone we know very well? That's Mackenzie Borgeray coming in as a junior forward from St. Cloud. Now, here's the thing with Borgeray. Um, the offense is there. The skill sets there, and so is the the speed. Uh, but a little bit of a disappointing campaign last year. 37 games, only 1.1 assist. So um, I, I think for Bourgeois, who uh, definitely saw her role, I think, decrease, especially as the season went on, um, that's kind of a bet on themselves, right? And this is where that player... Uh, you know, projection is there. I, I think for Borgia, and I know you and I have seen her play. We know that the pieces are there, but sometimes the consistency with her is what uh, often, you know, shall we say, ebbs and flows a time with her game. So if she finds it, this is a steal of a find for Minnesota State. But to me, this is definitely a, a case of Bourgeois looking for more consistent playing time. I think she does produce in a top six role. The big thing of her game is going to be the defensive side, just not super strong in that area of the ice. But that's where a strength is for Minnesota state and has been for the year. So maybe she learned a little bit from Harrington uh, down there, uh, down in Mankato and maybe rounds out the game a bit. So this could be sort of a sneaky little ad for Minnesota state. If um, again, she has a rebound of a year. And if anything, a depth forward that at least is consistent enough to be an everyday player at this point. So um, a lot of potential growth that could happen on the forward side there. As far as incoming freshmen, like we mentioned, a goaltender, two defensemen in the forwards. Nick, I want to start with the obvious one because it's just it's a lot of fun. The pair of defensemen coming in are actually twin sisters, Janessa and Juliana Gadzik, both 2004s. Both five foot seven. One's a righty, one's a lefty. Nick, I, I mean, if you were going to draw it up, I don't know that you could draw it up any better than that. You kind of wonder if their parents did that on purpose. You know, <laughs> uh, you, you know. I mean, we think about it because you know, we we think of twins and you know, almost everything's identical. I mean, look at the Sedin twins, I and mean, they shot the same way. Uh, they both could play center and the wing. Um, although, as you know, we got to learn more of the Sedin twins. It was. Daniel, the more of the shooter, the Henrik, more of the setup person um, with the twins here, right? And a left-handed, so they're not going to be a pairing, right? They're going to be split up. They're not going to play together. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> this is actually quite scary. Um, if there's one thing, and I know I kind of want to get your inside of this because I have it. When I was growing up, um, I didn't have any brothers, right? I had three sisters. Yes, I Same. survived somehow. I don't know how I did, but there we go. Um, but I had a cousin. His name was Dan, and he... Um, he played with uh, Farmington, actually, down southern part of the Twin Cities. But when we played together as young, you know, when just there was that just almost natural chemistry, right? And it was one of those players where I didn't have to look. You know, we're playing, you know, was it, you know, backyard puck or we go to the, you know, the local rink, you know, the wood boards. And it just didn't matter how many players were on the ice. You just, you had a sixth sense of where they were. Um can you tell us how, from a defensive pairing standpoint, how dangerous that can be? You got two twins that likely play similar, but more importantly, know where each other's at without even looking. Well, I think, you know, it's kind of this pulley system ebb and flow. When one steps up, the other stays back. You know, being able to kind of read off of each other without even having to think about it is important. You're able to make DDD passes, you're able to support on zone exits. A lot of people think of, Puck moving defensemen, first of all, as exactly that. They think of the player who's stepping up. They've got the puck. They're moving forward. They're making plays. Watch a hockey game. Watch what the weak side defenseman is doing. A lot of times, one of the plays that they're running is they're running a, essentially a hinge play, so to speak, where the weak side defenseman is essentially widens the area of the ice, 
mm-hmm. gives them a passing option. And then as that player with the puck continues to step forward, the weak side defenseman will actually float back behind and support the play back up the ice. Knowing that you have the confidence to have a puck carrying defenseman, there's always somebody hinging behind that defenseman that's supporting that play. When you have two players who both can be puck carrying defensemen and then hinge for the other one, yeah, not exactly a, a, a bad issue to have. I played both of them played at Gentry Academy, of course. Nick, both of them oh, eight, <laughs> 80, 82 contests for them. Got to make sure I know who I'm talking about here. Janessa had 108 points, 42 and 66. Juliana had 118 at 29 and 89. So one a little right. more of the setup, one a little more of the offensive catalyst on the goal side of things. Yeah. John Harrington and staff did well here. Let's just put yes. it that way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, let's, let's remember, too, when Daniel and Henrik were drafted, uh, Vancouver actually had to make a trade to draft them both, essentially. I think, was it back-to-back, or it was uh, either a pick or two away? Um, yeah. That was... Uh, Atlanta, wasn't it? Um, I'm trying to remember the deal, but it was... Uh, what's his face? Uh he you just know, got fired from Pittsburgh, who made that made that trade. He was. Oh, you're talking about. Uh, um, oh my gosh, Brian Burke. Brian Burke, yeah, yeah. yeah. Masterminded that. Um, there's again, it's we talk about chemistry in hockey, and just it's one of those you can't teach those kind of things, but it has some most impactful things. And Noah, how it, for for those who maybe have never played the game but watching it and understand it pretty well, you know, the higher end talent, you're not thinking the game, you're just doing it it's instinctual yeah. right um when i had the chance to interview andrew brunette uh back in 2013 10-year anniversary of his goal was actually a minnesota wild.com piece and i sat down with him for about 25 30 minutes and i had him break down um essentially when he got the puck from sergey joltak and i said you know he draws other defense and over they collide right it's you and patrick wah and I'm like what was going through your head he's like nothing nothing Literally nothing. He was like, the only thing I kind of sort of thought was I need to give him something he isn't expecting. And if you watch him do it, he just sort of, he did, it wasn't. He just like stepped to the move. left. Yeah. He, he just carried the puck in while went down and then he just took it around to the backhand and it was a wide open net. He just essentially outweighed them. And those are the types of plays where, especially in Stanley Cup playoff action over time, there's emotions, there's adrenaline, you know, and when you get an opportunity like that, a breakaway, and mind you, it's kind of a half breakaway at that point. Um, it's You're probably not expecting that open ice. And he admitted, it's like, no, absolutely not. I did not think I was going to have a clean look. He's like, and just, you kind of go black, right? You just, it, you just, and, and you, just you do it. Well, you talked about too, what is the tendency in that situation? You get the puck, you want to get it off quickly to have that patience and poise that shows, you know, that experience too. And I think that, when I always tell people, they, they always ask, you know, like, like what goes on in your head during a hockey game? And I, I say at, at a high level, hockey is interesting because you're thinking all the time, but mm-hmm. you're not thinking at all. You're doing both. It's like your, your, your mind and your hockey IQ catches up to your body being able to make those plays. And you are thinking through the game. You are piecing it together, but you don't realize you're doing it so naturally because of the repetition, because of the muscle memory, because you've seen those plays. Then when you get into those moments, like you said, when we talked about playoff success, you've been there. You feel it. You you know, then you're able to put all those pieces together and then manage the emotional piece on top of it. If they can get these two freshman gals up to speed quickly, Nick. I think they will be just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely would agree. On the forward side, uh, three forwards here. I'm going to butcher this name, and I apologize well in advance here. Um, uh, Ava Guglielmetti, I think. Um, Guglielmetti, a a tough one. All I can tell you, Nick, uh, uh, prior Lake product, five years for her, 117 games played, 99 points in those contests, 43 goals, 56 assists, uh, not too shabby. And I... Cameron Van Batavia. Um, we have some names, Nick, that I'm just going to butcher. Uh, Laverne, Minnesota product, by the way. Uh, lots of years there. In fact, actually six at the high school level. So that kind of gives you a seventh grader. Holy cow. I say that gives you an idea. Uh, Nick, is this good? Um, hundred. Uh, let's just put it this way. I don't know if you have the stat sheet up, but if you do, don't pull her um, elite prospects page up. If you have already, tell me. Um, no. Okay. 151 games played, Nick, in those six years. Uh, what do you think the point, point total is? Ooh, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna take what they call a swing of the bat, 172. 440. Holy blank. 280, 283 goals, 157 assists, a 2.91 point per game clip. Oh, and, uh, you know, 50 pims to go along with that. Uh, Can I add something to that? Yeah, sure. Because I, I kind of lied. I had the Elite Prospects Minnesota State page up. Yeah. Um, what kind of helps her is she's a beast. She's six foot nothing. She's huge. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, you probably hear this uh, for those listening, you know, you talk about you know, size and it's not everything. Sure. But you talk about the reach and the ways that you can move the puck laterally with your stick that there does, there is an advantage there and not to mention your stride. Right. So, um, yikes. Yeah, pretty <laughs> yikes. good. And then, uh, uh, Lauren Z- Zawoyski, I think, uh, three years at Edina, eight, 80 games played for her 25 goals, 36 assists, 61 points, just to tag along on that train, by the way, too, playing at a very good school. And, uh, yeah, Nick, this is a team, and we haven't even gotten to the netminder yet. On the forward side here, you were trying to replenish some offense. I This Mankato team, yes, we have them picked below the Huskies um, right now. I This is a team that I, I, I don't I can't really get a read on. And the only thing I can't get a read on, we'll talk about the net mining in a second. Goaltending is a question mark for them as we're yeah. gonna go, we're gonna go through. Um, and just the overall depth. But if these freshmen can be as high end as they were at the previous level. Now it doesn't always translate. We've seen a lot of women's hockey players that do bring great stat totals that have either played at a school that was not that competitive by nature, or, you know, they just, for whatever reason, don't translate. You got to kind of wait and see here, Nick. But if these three forwards bring the success, like you mentioned, and obviously one of them with significant size and reach and ability, um, you know, six foot zero, very tall, uh, for the women's game, um, yeah, it will not be a bad time to be a Mankato Maverick. No, and I think really to, to summarize it, you know, a little bit more in pace here, Noah, uh, the big question is assimilation really from the level that they're at to the Division One level to the WCHA, right? There's no question the raw skill, the raw talents there. Um, now the question is, can they assimilate to um, just a different beast, right? The game is quicker. Um, you have uh, obviously you're opposing uh, talent is going to be at your level, if not better than you. So how do you adjust, right? And But if this is a core, including the defensemen, right, that seem to be more offensive-minded, um, if they replicate similar to their defensive metrics of last season, um, this could be a big swing up for Minnesota State if, it, uh, if these freshmen can adjust quick. Yeah, and on the net mining side, uh, coming in here uh, from Blaine High School, it's Haley Hansen. Uh, of course, her father, really successful career in Charlestown for a long time. So, no, um, <laughs> but uh, three years uh, at, at uh, that level, uh, 133 goals against and a 931 save percentage at uh, MNHP. And then at the high school level, a 923 over five years, um, 125 contests and a 265 goals against was 64, 56, and five. So again, numbers that uh, if they can assimilate will translate very, very well, Nick. There's no doubt about that. Netminding, always an essential factor uh, when it comes to the game of hockey. Uh, returning players, Nick, uh, kind of hard to get a read, like we mentioned with all these graduate players. Will they stay? Will they go? Some of them, I would imagine, have to be. But as far as we can see, uh, five freshmen, five sophomores, five juniors, and five to six seniors, depending on what Emerald Kelly does. And then eight graduate players, potentially, if you want to be honest. So 21 to 29 will, would be the mix somewhere in there. Um, but Nick, I, you know, players that of course are returners, uh, you look at Jamie Nelson, who is a junior had 26 points last season, Claire Buderak, uh, a graduate player. Should she decide to stay with 23 points on the year? Madison Mashuga uh, had 22 points last season. So bringing back, uh, you know, Taylor Otremba as well, Brooke Bryant, if she stays. So you talk about Kelsey King and what she brought to the table. She was uh, essentially tied for fifth as the fifth highest scorer on this team. So they are bringing back some offense, Nick. Again, this is a team that could finish much higher than where they were at if they get deep decent goaltending and can lock down defensively. So how do we qualify this, Nick, where we look at this team that you can tell they have some offensive players, especially on the forward side that can do some damage. What was it about last season and what do they kind of need to take away from that to really make things stick? Because clearly they've got some players that can produce and can create some offense. I think 60 minutes, right. Is really what it comes down to is consistency, right? Um, 
we probably say this ad nauseum, right? But for a lot of the teams and players at this level, right? Collegiate, Division One, pros, it's not really a lot of the X's and O's. It's more just can you execute it more consistently than your opponent, right? Um, and when you bring in some of these more offensive-minded folks, right? If if that's more depth scoring, or shall we say, more of an offensive threat, more than your top six, and now maybe you got a top nine that can at least provide you a little bit of a spark. Um, teams have to contend with that. Now, what does that mean? It takes pressure off your defenseman, to, uh, pressure off your goaltending, and what it means is you're forcing your opponent to defend more. You're usually putting more shots on that. You're creating more power plays because usually when you're controlling possession, you're driving, uh, you know, the puck. Uh, for uh, you're making your opponent chase, right? And that's where a lot of the stick infractions come from. So it, it's a trickle down effect, right? So at the end of it, if if Mankato was able to, like I mentioned before, uh, be able to just take what they're given defensively, which they've been pretty good. Again, their penalty kill, one of the best in the nation at just a clip under 88%, uh, but maybe get a little bit more success in the power play, but more importantly, five on five, right? And then, right. you know, when the going gets tough and the, you know, the tough got to get going, I know it's it's a horrible cliche phrase, but, you know, more so get going and just not deviating, right? You just got to make sure you stick with the process, stick with what the game plan is and, uh, you know, you may not get all the bounces, right? In fact, you may do everything right there. How many times have we talked on this podcast, right? Where St. Cloud, they did everything right. They just couldn't not buy a bounce, right? But you'd rather see a loss like that than versus like a total implosion where you can see the game plan unwinding in front of you. That's the loss that you don't want to see. You'd rather see a close game and a loss where you can say that you played good hockey, just didn't get uh, the will of the hockey gods sometimes. And that happens in the sport more often than not. Yeah, giving yourself a chance is half the battle. You, I definitely would agree. Uh, they have a chance in their first four games of the season. They will be on the road. Only two non-conference games before they get right into WCHA action. They're actually in Connecticut to play Sacred Heart, which last year they had good success against. Before being on, too. Yeah, before being on the road to visit Anna Wilgren and the Wisconsin Badgers October 12th and 13th in Wisconsin. Their first home matchup is October 20th and 21st. In fact, a four-game homestand against Duluth and the first time they see St. Cloud at the tail end of October. Uh, then they are um, home and home early part of November against Minnesota and the Gophers. They are on the road and then at home respectively that weekend. And then the really cool part here, Nick, November 9th on a Thursday, they play St. Thomas in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame game in, um, in, at Maple Grove, Nick. Uh, this will be an exciting matchup. Of course, uh, the Huskies, no stranger to this game, obviously had very good success, of course, against the Gophers uh, last year. But, Nick, uh, Hockey Hall of Fame game, always got to be exciting. Uh, the only challenge, uh, of course, is they play on that Thursday. Then they're off, essentially, for a week before coming back the following Friday. So it's a, a weekend, essentially, that they don't play after that Thursday game, but nonetheless got to be an exciting matchup. I would imagine it is, you know, anytime that you're in a, a marquee matchup like that, it's always exciting to be able to kind of, you know, be part of a showcase kind of game, which is what this is. And uh, what makes it even more tough. No, you mentioned the layoff after the game. How about the short turnaround from the university of Minnesota, the weekend prior that Friday, Saturday, yeah. um, it's a home and home too. So, I mean, there's some travel there, but then you got to rest up quick because again, that Thursday game comes, uh, quicker than probably we think, right? So um, you, you do have a quick turnover, but then you get to, uh, shall we say, rest up a bit for your next game. But uh, always fun to be in some of those uh, matchups, like you mentioned, with the Hall of Fame game there early in November. Yeah, a bit, of, bit road heavy here, to say the least. November 17th and 18th, they're actually in Bemidji. And then, <laughs> Nick, how about this? They're in the Smashville Classic over the yeah. Thanksgiving holiday. They play Robert Morris and Boston University at Nashville, Tennessee. Um, so, yeah. I, I would say if you're a Mavs player, you're going to be doing some travel and you're going to be having some fun yeah. road trips. There's no doubt about that. Uh, home and home against St. Thomas to start December on the road again, um, essentially for three straight. If you want to count the second game against St. Thomas, uh, then they play Ohio State on the road. And then it's Christmas time. They get to breathe a little bit uh, at home against Lindenwood for some non-conference action on the road. Not too far um, in St. Cloud before playing Wisconsin at home, home and home where they traveled to Minnesota first. And then they're at home at the end of the weekend against the Gophers on the road against Duluth and then closing out uh, 
essentially the second half of the schedule home stands against Ohio state, Bemidji state and a home game against St. Thomas before the regular season ends in St. Thomas, February 24th. So um, I, I think you and I can probably, uh, you know, clarify what this is going to be. They're one of their biggest challenges, Nick rest, travel, recuperation. Yeah. Um, you don't pick the schedule obviously as a player, but you do have to manage it. Right. Um, this is where, you know, sleep and you know, nutrition and all that good jazz, you know, having uh, a routine in place, um, is super important, right? Because we talk about how athletes are creatures of habit. Um, they're going to have to have a good, uh, road habit, right? Because again, uh, we, we talk about the, on the extreme cases, what traveling to like Alaska does, you know, they're starting the season on the East Coast in Connecticut, they'll be flying out. So they're going to get a taste of that early on. And being what they wrote a heavy first half of their schedule being on there, that should at least set the tone early, which is good. Uh, but then again, you're, you're going to finish. And I know you'll hit this uh, five out of last six will be uh, on home ice. So that'll be nice. But uh, again, uh, it, it's going to be a, a mental test earlier. But if they can, you know, essentially, you know, rise to it and just, you know, look at it as this is, just how the dice fell to us this year and just not make it part of, shall we say, uh, not let it have you approach it differently. Maybe as well as trying to go for Noah, then you'll be just fine. Yeah. And obviously the road trip's not exactly extensive for some of the in-state teams. So, I mean, right. you're close enough, so to speak, but regardless, you have to manage that schedule. Now, Nick, uh, final couple of questions here. First of all, I mean, this team, if they get a little bit of goaltending help, the freshmen assimilate well and they, you know, can bring those returning scores up to form. This is a team that could finish fourth or even in, in a long shot here, maybe even third in this conference. I mean, they're they are probably the biggest wild card or one of them that we have entering this season. They could finish much higher than where we have them, but they have to manage the schedule. All of those things have to happen, or at least a majority of them, for things to go right. What do they have to do to be successful if they want to challenge for a home spot in the WCHA? I think early on, you have to establish the defensive game, right? Uh, that's always the one thing that is hard to, like, shall we say, re recoup as the season goes on. You have to start strong. And, and typically with, although we have a, we talked about the offensive talent that comes in, you'd rather have the defense first, build the offense later. So to me, you stay structured defensively, you protect your goaltender, you clear out rebounds, you protect the house, right? You're in the blue paint areas, making it difficult for your opponent to get into those high danger areas. And then as the season progresses, this is when the transition game develops. This is when you're driving and then looking at those, you know, rush plays and then going in and talk about scissoring and going all the way down to a 3-2, uh, you know, on the four check and expanding that way. And that's going to allow your freshmen too, uh, to really just kind of settle in and not have too much pressure, right? I think, especially with some of their higher end talents, there's an expectation on themselves, right? To be able to replicate some of that production. Let's be realistic. Isn't going to happen, right? You can tell that player over and over again, right? Um, it's, you're not going to be the best, you know, you're not going to be an ESPN top 10 player this year, but just keep it simple, right? So to me, build defense first, protect the goaltending, and then offense will fall later. If you can follow that, uh, I think they're going to put themselves in a pretty good uh, put, uh, position to battle for a top four of the WCHA and uh, perhaps even higher, right, if the, if the dice roll in their favor. Yeah, um, my biggest thing for them, they got to figure out who their starter is or what their goaltending tandem is for them. Obviously, you know, is it going to be Haley Hansen who's going to come in as the freshman and make some noise? Does Alexa Berg stay, who had a 916 last season in a 281 in 21 contest? Lauren Barbaro will be a senior this upcoming year, played in 17 uh, contests that comparable records for them, eight and seven and seven and 10, respectively. She had a 911 and a 298. So, again, similar goaltending numbers. Does the freshman challenge out of camp or do they go with the veteran presence or do they do a, a tandem uh, switch here or do, are they going to carry three goaltenders? Are they going to do what we've seen other teams like WCH do? Yeah, a red shirt of freshman carry four goaltenders. A lot of options on the table. They've got to figure that out, I think. And like you said, work from the back end up. And if you have two freshman uh, twin defensemen who bring any sort of similar production, working from the back end up will be not a difficult task for this team if they are successful. Um Nick, before we get to our, our final question here, just want to mention the Husky Warming House podcast is brought to you by the Soda Pod. Stay wild and up to date in all things in the state of hockey, as well as centericeview.com. Uh, some great stories coming uh, from Bill Prout over the past couple of weeks. Huskies Illustrated excited as the season gets rolling to see some of those pictures on the men's and women's side. Some great content coming out of that. Uh, of course, your home for all things St. Cloud hockey, including the latest news and photos of your favorite Huskies. Uh, Nick, 
Speaking of our Huskies, they do have these Mankato Mavericks on the women's side four times this season, once in the first half, once in the second half. What does St. Cloud do to be successful and shut down these high-flying freshman players? Well, I think you got to go right at them, right? Uh, I think you got to give them a taste of what Division One hockey is, right? And that's fast pace. It's it's heavy, and more so, it's about puck control and puck uh, puck management, really. Um, in high school and some other of those, shall we say, those you know junior tiers, right? Um, some of those mistakes you make, you kind of get away with uh, Division One. You don't, right? So uh, you can force them to make, uh, shall we say, a rush decision, right? That's where a lot of the freshmen struggle is when the game come at you a little bit faster than you're anticipating, right? We always talk about that transition between levels of hockey. And one thing we hear about from players a lot is the speed of the game, right? So to me, you go at them, you attack the freshman hard, and uh, you just essentially try to make them almost beat themselves, right? By creating turnovers and then capitalizing, right? To me, that's how you do it. I know it sounds simple, but to me, you just kind of go right at them and bring the game to them, not allowing them to feel comfortable where they can, shall we say, uh, use their talents, which they've got plenty of them to be able to counteract that. That's how you beat uh, a young but still skilled Minnesota State squad. Certainly would agree, Nick. Of course, next week we move into the NCHC number six is on the docket. We won't reveal who that is. Now, to clarify, as we move forward here, I'm going to give a bit of a spoiler here. Uh, we do have St. Cloud on the women's side ranked at number five. So next week, we will, oh my goodness, we will be covering the number four team in the WCHA. So if you see number four, no, it's not a typo. I did have a typo earlier in the past week, though. So I have. For real, this one isn't well, a typo. I'm yeah, mistakes. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm I'm like the epitome of um you know podcast typing. Um, but I uh, huh. just just so you know, um, we'll be out of order slightly. Um, when it comes to those, and it's not a typo. We are gonna rank them as they are ranked according to our predictions. So it'll actually be the number four spot in the WCHA in two weeks. Number six next week on the men's side for Nick Maxson. I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. And your one-timer come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.